Would you uh, open your Bible with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5, if uh, you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we have been, as a church, spending the better part of the past few months uh, just walking our way through this book of Ephesians verse by verse, and uh, we find ourselves today in chapter 5. And uh, we started chapter 5 last week, and when we did, we saw that the main overarching theme of this section uh, in the book of Ephesians is that we as followers of Jesus are to be imitators of God. That's what Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 1. We are to be imitators of God. That when it comes to the way that we live our lives, and uh, more specifically when it comes to the relationships that we have with one another, that we as followers of Christ are to imitate God. And so uh, Paul takes us on this journey through this letter to remind us first and foremost about who we are. And uh, he, he spends the first half of this book, chapters 1, 2, and 3, telling us about how our life and our eternity has been radically changed because of this work that God has done within us through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he starts at that place of our identity on purpose. He starts at that place because he knows better than we do, and, and he knows under the inspiration of the Spirit of God as he's writing this, that if we don't really know who we are, then it's going to be really easy for us to get caught up in whatever message the culture happens to be preaching at the time. In fact, in some sense, it seems as though Paul is using this section in Ephesians 5 at the, at the front end of chapter 5 to set us up for what's coming at the back end of chapter 5. In other words, in a culture that does not understand God's design for marriage, imitate God. In a culture that does not understand God's design for family and for parenting, you, as followers of Jesus, imitate God. In a culture that needs the light of the gospel when you rub shoulders with people in the workplace, you, as followers of Jesus, imitate God. In some sense, what he's saying now at the front end of chapter 5 is getting us ready for what he's about to tell us about all of those things in the back end of chapter 5. And so he tells us here in chapter 5 three ways for us to imitate God. He says, first of all, walk in love. We looked at that last week. And today he tells us in this next section that the second way that we imitate God is to walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Of light. Father, we humble ourselves again before you in this moment, and uh, we just ask again um, right now, Father, would you speak to us through your word? Uh, Lord, like we do each time, we acknowledge again that uh, we are completely helpless apart from you, that we have nothing apart from you. Lord, you have given us your word to teach us how to live, you have given us your word to to shape us more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we humbly ask now that you would accomplish that work in our life even more again today. Lord, I pray right across this room, every heart humbled before you, every ear open, ready to hear from you, every eye open, fixed on your word, fixed on Jesus, trying to understand, Lord, by your grace, how it is that you call us to live. Father, we thank you again that you delight in calling us your children. Help us now, I pray, to walk 
as your children, to walk as children of light. Help us to understand that and help us to rightly apply that to our life. So I pray now that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have your Bible open, if you would. Please follow along with me as I read Ephesians 5, starting at verse 8 and down through to verse 14. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So how do you know if you're imitating God within your life? I want to show you here, Paul unpacks for us four ways right here in this passage about how we live as an imitator of God. Here's the first way. You might want to write this down. Number one, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. That's what he says right at the start here. You might remember that uh, this is not the first time that Paul uses this word walk. Uh, It shows up pretty frequently. It's a key word through chapters four and five. And, And this word walk is simply a metaphor that the Bible uses for the way that we live our life our day-to-day relationship with God. And uh, light, he says, um, he says, walk as children of light. Light in the Bible is a description of righteousness and goodness. It's a description of holiness. In fact, the, the Bible uses light as a way of describing the very nature of who God himself is. And now Paul says, walk as children of light. So you want to make a difference in your workplace? You want to make a difference in your friendships? You want to make a difference in in the classroom that you're in with your fellow students, maybe as a teacher with the students that you teach? You want to make a difference in your family? You want to even make a difference in your marriage? Then walk as children of light. In other words, what Paul is saying here is live as people who reflect who God is. Notice the text here. He says, walk as children of light, first of all, because this is who you are. This is who you are, verse 8. He says that at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice here in verse 8 that he does not say that you once were in darkness. He says you once were darkness. Like that's who you were. You once were darkness. So he's not just talking here about the stuff that we did before we came to know Christ. You can look back to verses 1 through 7 and the end of chapter 4 as well to find out some of those works of darkness that he's talking about. He's not just talking here about the stuff that we did. He's actually talking about who we were. So the problem here is not that there's simply darkness around us. The problem was that there was darkness where? In us, we were darkness. But notice this in verse 8 as well. All of that is in the past tense. He says you once were darkness because that's who you were, but it is not now who you are. Now, he says, you are light in the Lord. 
You are light, so you have been rescued from the darkness. That no longer describes your life. What describes your life now is light. It's righteousness. It's goodness. It is holiness. And he says now, you are light in the Lord. In other words, the Lord has rescued you from the darkness. He has brought you into his light so that you now can walk as a child of the light. In other words, so that you could live your life now as a reflection of who God is in this world. So just think about this. The story of the Bible from beginning to end, the story of God in the Bible is that God is light. It's all about light. God is all about the light. And we see this from the very beginning to the very end. In fact, take a look at a few of these verses. We don't have time to go into every single one of them, but look at this, Genesis 1, verse 1. The very first words of the Bible, talking about God and the light, Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Notice that, that everything was covered in darkness. But then God broke into that and said, Let there be light, and the power of his light overcomes all of the darkness. 1 John 1, verse 5 John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Like, just hold that up against what Paul's just told us in Ephesians 5. He says, we were darkness. Like, that was us. That was who we were, complete and total darkness. But in God, there is no darkness at all. John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So notice that. This is one of Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John, where he says now, I am. I am equating himself with God. Jesus is fully God. He is declaring himself to be God. I am the light of the world, he says. And whoever follows me does not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And notice now what happens when the light of Jesus shines upon us. Matthew 5, verse 14. Jesus now is talking to his disciples. Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever given. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, You are the light of the world. So now he's looking out on his disciples, by extension looking out to us as well, and saying, You now are light of the world. So it's not just that Jesus is the light of the world and whoever follows him does not walk in darkness but has the light of life. Now he looks out to those who are following him and says, now you are the light of the world. Down to Matthew 5, verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And the purpose now of that light being given to you is that it may shine in the world. That it may shine in the darkness. A life that is marked by holiness and righteousness in the midst of that darkness. But then, one day, this isn't all. Then, one day, all things are made new. And Revelation 22 becomes our reality. And Revelation 22, verse 4 says this. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
Like, how amazing is this, right? From the very beginning pages of the Bible to the very last words of the Bible, God is all about the light. He is all about purity. He is all about holiness. He is all about righteousness. And don't you think that if God keeps bringing that up over and over and over and over again, that maybe we should sit up and pay attention to that. And so now he calls us and says, walk as children of light. Walk as children who are committed to purity and holiness and goodness and righteousness. When you have the light of life in Jesus, we then become the light to the world. We become God's light to the world. And we see it here again in this next point that who you are then leads to what you do. See, we've seen this through the whole book of Ephesians, right? Paul starts from the place of our identity, defining who we are, and that now then leads to what we do. So here's the second thing. Walk as children of light because it will lead to what you do. Verse 9, he says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now think for a minute. Think, think about how fruit grows. Like we're coming to that time of the year where where fruit is growing on the vines, it's growing on the trees, it's growing all over. Like, I love this time of the year. I love this time of the year for so many reasons except allergies. Don't love it for that. But, but I love, like, walking into the grocery store, walking into the produce section when, when there's a whole bunch of fresh fruit there, and just standing in the middle of the produce section in the grocery store, and it's like... <sighs> and then I open my eyes, and everybody's looking at me, and they're, they're all like, hey, look at the fruit in the fruit section, right? And, and it's just like, it's... But it's okay, I've embraced the weirdness. So. so the thing is, though, when fruit grows, like fruit grows best when it has all the right conditions, right? So when it has water and it has sunlight and it has the right kind of soil and no animals are eating it, right? That's a big deal, too. And, and so when all of the conditions are right, then the fruit just grows naturally. That's what Paul's saying here. When you are walking in the light, And when you're walking in righteousness and goodness and you're seeking the Lord in all that you do, when all of the spiritual conditions of your life are in the right places, then the fruit will just naturally grow out of your life. And so somebody says, well, what kind of fruit should I be looking for? Well, Paul says, verse 9, look for all that is good and right and true. Some commentators have suggested that um, what is good is a reflection of our relationships with each other. And that what is right is a reflection of our relationship with God. And that what is true is a reflection, you could say, of our relationship with ourself. It's the reason why we do the things that we do. And so Paul says here, when you're looking for fruit within your life to see if you're walking as a child of the light, look for what is good and right and true. Look for the good, look for the horizontal in your relationships with each other, Look for the vertical in your relationship with God, but then also look for the internal, for the reasons why you do the things that you do. If you are walking in the light, then you are going to see these things in your life that are good and right and true. Once heard a pastor describe it similar to this. Um, He said, "If, if I, as your pastor, if I have to convince you to do the things that God tells you plainly to do in his word, then you might not be walking in the light as much as you think you are. If I have to convince you that it's important for you to read your Bible every day, 
if I have to convince you that you should take advantage of every opportunity in your small group or in your discipleship group or in a class or whatever it is to get into God's word, or if somebody else in your life has to convince you of that, if I have to convince you that it's important for you to be at church every weekend, if I have to convince you that it's important for you to be at prayer meeting once a month, if I have to convince you to spend deep, meaningful time alone with the Lord in prayer, if I have to convince you to be baptized, if I have to convince you to give generously of the finances that God has given you to steward for a time, finances, remember, that do not belong to us, they belong to the Lord, he's simply given them to us for a time to take care of, if I have to convince you to give generously of those finances, if I have to convince you to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to you at the moment of your salvation to build up the body within the church, if I have to convince you of how important it is to lay down your life before God and say, here I am, God, take me and use me and send me wherever you want me to go, and if I have to convince you that all of those things are not just another spiritual list of things that you need to do, then you may not be walking in the light like you think you are. Because when you're walking in the light, this is just the tip of the iceberg of the kind of fruit that just naturally grows out of your life. Now, do we struggle with these things at times? Absolutely we do. We all do. And by God's grace, we need brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to come alongside of us and encourage us to get back on track. We all struggle with these things at times. However, if your life is revealing patterns whereby you need to be repeatedly convinced of these things then you're not walking in the light. So what is the fruit of your life telling you about the root of your life? What is the the fruit of your life telling you about where your heart is right now, where your heart is with God, where your heart is with the people around you, where your heart is in terms of why you do the things that you do, where your heart is in terms of what is good and right and true? See, we need to walk in the light because this is who we are and it will lead to what we do, which brings us now to Paul's second command. Notice this, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You can see this right in the text here, right? This is his command in verse 10. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The idea here is to discern what is pleasing to God, first of all, by carefully examining how I live. By carefully examining how I live. Now, in Paul's day, a worker would take a piece of silver and put it into the fire, and the fire would burn away all of the impurities, all of the things that did not belong. They would all be burnt away. And then he would pull that silver back out of the fire and examine it really, really closely to make sure that that piece of silver was worth what it was supposed to be worth. That's the idea here behind this word discern. That you're carefully examining the things that you do in your life, and you're asking questions like, does God place the kind of value on this that will make it worth the time and the energy that God has given me? Like, does God place value on what I'm about to do, and should I be doing this? Paul says this better than I do. He says everything better than I do, but 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21, he says this. This is a great verse to memorize, super short. You can do this. I know you can. 1 Thessalonians 5 21, he says, test everything, hold fast to what is good. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Like test not just the big stuff, not just the big life-altering decisions that we sometimes think, well, that's what I need to test in, and I don't really need to test the day-to-day stuff because I can take care of that. No, he says test everything. 
Put those things into the fire. All of the impurities burned away. Bring it back out. Closely examine it to make sure that it's worth what it's supposed to be worth. Test everything and then hold fast to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Discern what is pleasing to the Lord, not only by carefully examining how you live, but then also this, by continually exploring what God says. That's how we know what's pleasing to the Lord. So consider this. Do you determine what is pleasing to the Lord in your life more by how you feel about a situation or more by what God says about the situation? Do you determine what is pleasing to the Lord in your life more by how you feel about a situation or by what God says about the situation? Because let's be honest, sometimes there can be a huge gap between those two things, right? And so often we get lost in the swirl of confusion in our lives because we started from this place of our own feelings about what to do rather than from the solid ground of God's word about who we are. So consider, loved ones, how often, how often do you make decisions in your life, maybe even life-altering decisions within your life based on statements like this? Well, it just felt right for me. Or, well, I was so desperate and I didn't see any other way out of this and and I just had to do it like that. Or, well, I just chose to do this because ultimately this is what makes me the most happy. Like, how often do you make decisions? How often do you set direction within your life based on statements like that? And if you do, be very careful, friends. Because if that is the only grid that you have for how to live your life, then you are going in a dangerous direction. The Bible says that our greatest priority is not what makes us happy. It's what pleases the Lord. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you live in a way that pleases the Lord? I, I want to give you five questions Um, that you can ask of the decisions that you make and the things that you come up against. Understand this this is not an exhaustive list at all, but I think it's a good place to start and I hope that you find it helpful. Here's question number one. Will this glorify God? Like this is the most basic question for us to ask. Will this glorify God? And if this does not glorify God, then you already have your answer about whether or not it pleases him, right? That the answer to whether or not you should do that is no, and, and you're done. However, if it could glorify God, you move on to question number two. Have I sought God in his word and in prayer? Have I sought God in his word and in prayer? And, and understand, I'm not just talking about uh, seeking God in prayer while you're driving your car or while you're doing chores around the house or while, while your mind is distracted with other things that are going on that you need to pay attention to. I'm talking, have you sought God? I'm talking you, God, his word, fasting, calling out to him. Have you sought God in his word and in prayer? Question number three, is this good, right, and true? Right from what Paul says here in this passage. Is it good, right, and true? Question number four, will will this help other people see Jesus in my life or will it hinder other people from seeing Jesus in my life? Will this help or will this hinder other people from seeing Jesus in my life? Like, think about this for a minute. When the other people in my life that I care about the most hear about this decision or ask me about this decision, will they be able to see that I love Jesus more than I love what I want or what I think I want? 
Will it help or will it hinder? And then question number five, have I sought the counsel of other godly people? Have I looked out for other people in my life who know me, who love me, who can speak godly wisdom into my life that I need to hear? See, our spiritual maturity will be seen by the kind of influences that we let into our lives. That's why he says here, discern what is pleasing to the Lord and then let those things into your life. Bring those things into your life. See, even sometimes as Christians, we talk about finding God's will for our life. You know, trying to understand what God really wants us to do. And often that question comes up when we have a really important decision to make in our life, like a new job or buying a house or going this way or going that way or whatever it may be. And, and does God really want me to do this? And, and we say, I need to find God's will. I need to find, as if God's will has been lost and we need to find it. And the thing is, God has already told us what he wants us to do. And yes, sometimes there are decisions in our life that are not as clear as we would like them to be. But you need to understand this in the context of what Paul is saying here. He is saying, the more that we walk in what we already know that God wants us to do, the clearer it will become about where God wants us to go. Okay? The more we walk in what we already know that God wants us to do, the clearer it will become about where God wants us to go. He says, walk as children of light. Because when you're walking in the light, you can see. You can see what's around you. So walk as a child of light. Do what God has already told you to do. And as you're doing what God has already told you to do, the other things will become clear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And that leads then right into instruction number three. He says, take no part in darkness. Do you see how all of these are building on one another? Do you see the progression that Paul's making here? Walk as a child of light, which means then discern what's pleasing to the Lord. And if you're doing that, then take no part in darkness. That's point number three. And he tells us here three reasons why we should avoid the darkness. First, notice this, because it's unfruitful. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Um, If you've been here over the past few weeks, you know that uh, Paul has been pretty blunt about some of the works of darkness. You can look back in, uh, to the start of chapter 5 and, and back into the end of chapter 4 as well. But think for a minute, what about those things that maybe we don't talk about so frequently? Think about, um, think about those things and, and see if you see yourself maybe somewhere in this list. Discontentment, unthankfulness, anger, selfishness, Irritability, gossip, bitterness, unforgiveness, judgmentalism, critical spirit, lack of self-control. I mean, these are works of darkness. Like these things don't grow any healthy fruit, right? And part of the reason that Jesus saves you is so that you will bear fruit within your life. Jesus says, John 15, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And if fruit's gonna grow within our lives, then we need to be walking in the light and avoiding the darkness because nothing good grows in the dark, right? Nothing good. Like, think about the time when you were a little kid and, and mom and dad were tucking you into bed, right? And they, they put you into bed, tuck you in nice and tight, and then they walk out of, the, out of your bedroom, turn off the light, close the door, and then they turn off the hall light, and all of a sudden, it's like total dark, right? And what happens then? 
There you are, a little kid, tucked nice and tight into your bed, snug as a bug in a rug, right? And you're, you're just laying there, and nothing good's going through your mind at that point, right? You're thinking like, oh, man, this is total dark. Oh, man, I'm so scared. Oh, man, there's monsters under the bed. Oh, Jesus, just take me home now. And, and it'd be so great, right? Like, nothing good is growing in the dark, right? And that's what he's saying here. It's the same thing in our spiritual life as well. Nothing good grows when we're in the dark. So take no part in darkness, he says, because it's unfruitful. And then second, he says, take no part in the darkness because it'll be uncovered. See, we walk in the light. Notice what Paul's saying here. We walk in the light to reflect who God is, but God also uses that light to uncover the darkness around us. Verse 11, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So when we walk as children of light, think about this. God uses our life like a beacon, like a, kind of like a lighthouse that just shines the light so that everybody can see the light. Everybody can see where the light is coming from. It's coming from Christ within us. But then at the same time, he also uses our life as a spotlight. The spotlight gets more specific. It, it shines on one particular area, and that spotlight shines then into the corners and into the crevices, and it exposes the darkness and the dirtiness that is there. Like one translation says of verse 11, show the works of darkness for what they are. Like that's why the light shines in our lives, to show the works of darkness for what they truly are. So let's pull on this thread with me for a second here, okay? You and I, filled with the Spirit of God, walking as children of light, God uses our lives to bring light and purity to a dark and sinful world. So here's the question. Are you enjoying the darkness? Or are you exposing the darkness? Are you enjoying it? Or are you exposing it? Like, just stop right here and, and think about the big three within your life. The big three, the, the things that you spend your time on, the things that you spend your money on, and the things that you think about the most. Things you spend your time on, your money on, things you think about the most. The big three within your life. When it comes to those big three things within your life, are you enjoying the darkness? Or are you exposing it? Paul says here, take no part in it because it will be uncovered. And part of the purpose of the light is to uncover what is in the darkness. And then he says this, take no part in darkness because it's unworthy. It's unworthy, verse 12, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Like, just notice that. It's shameful to even talk about it, let alone do it. It's shameful to even bring it up. Like friends, I hope I hope so much that we can see with more clarity as we go through this series that God is calling us to a radical life of following him. That sin is never something that we should take lightly or handle carelessly. That there is nothing radical about living the way that everyone else lives who hasn't been changed in the ways that we have been changed. To see that our call to follow after Christ is not some slightly spiritualized religious version of living the dream, but rather to see that when Jesus saved us, that, that that has so dramatically altered our eternal destiny in ways that we will not understand until we get to heaven, and that because of that, our short time here on this earth has a clarity of purpose that is unequal to anything else in this world. He says, follow after me. He says, leave everything behind. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow after me. 
It's a story of a billionaire who um, bought a luxury yacht and he was interviewing people to be the helmsman of the yacht, to be the skipper, so to speak. And, and he brought together three of the best people that he could find and he took them out on his yacht with a bunch of his friends to go sailing so that they could show uh, their skills to this guy who owned the yacht. So each of the candidates took their turn sailing the yacht first candidate took this very expensive yacht into the harbor and he sailed at top speed to within 30 yards of the rocky cliff of the edge of the harbor. And everyone was super impressed by his ability that he could just crank it up to the top speed, get so close to the edge without totally destroying the yacht. Everybody thought it was great. Then the second candidate took his turn and he was even more skillful. He took the yacht, cranked it up to full speed and, and got the yacht to within 15 yards of the rocky cliff of the edge and still managed to be okay, still managed no destruction of the yacht whatsoever. And everyone was amazed at his ability. They couldn't believe it. And, and they thought then to themselves, if, if number one can do that, number two can do that, what's number three going to do? This is going to be great. And so finally, the third candidate steps up. He takes his turn and, and he steers the yacht into the middle of the harbor. Just goes into the middle of the harbor, far away from any of the rocky edges on the cliff. And everyone, as they're sailing in the middle of the harbor, everyone just enjoyed this nice, relaxing trip. And only then, when they were in the middle of the harbor, going at a reasonable speed, could they actually look around and enjoy the scenery that was all around them from that perspective. They saw amazing views that they never saw with the first two guys sailing the yacht. Eventually, the billionaire gave the job to the third candidate and said, you were all skillful, but I don't want someone who's so confident in themselves that they're going to steer the yacht to places where it should not go and risk destroying everything. He says, I want someone who is satisfied to be in the open water and to enjoy all the beauty that is there. In some ways, that is a parable for how we are to live as followers of Jesus. That's a parable for what it means for us to imitate God. God has given us his word. And, and it's like he's saying, my word is like the open water. And you can sail within the open waters of my word and enjoy amazing views of your life based on the open water of my word. You're going to see things in your life maybe that you've never seen before. You're going to see them from perspectives that you've never seen before as you sail within the open water of my word. And instead of going to the edge, to the rocky cliff, why would you want to go there? Like, when you have the open water of God's word, why would you want to go so close to the edge where you risk destroying everything? Why would you want to step to the line and wonder how close you can get without crossing over? Like, we get to situations like that in our life sometimes, don't we? And that's the wrong question for us to ask. We shouldn't be asking, how close to the line can I get without crossing over? We should be asked, where can I go in the open water of God's word so that I can see life the way that he meant it to be lived? Let me go there. Let me enjoy his blessing in those places. It says, take no part in darkness. Don't go anywhere near the rocky cliff on the edge. Sail in the open waters. One last instruction. Paul says this. Let the light shine. Let the light shine. Notice this. Let the light shine first so that God can bring conviction. Verse 13 but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So again, he's saying here, the light exposes things. And God's word, listen, God's word is the light that does the ultimate exposing. 
God's word is the light that does the exposing. Listen to this, Psalm 119, 105. Again, another short verse that you can memorize if you haven't done it already. It's a great verse to memorize. Again, I know you can do it. Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Like, I love that analogy there. That is so great. The Bible is a lamp to my feet. And so the lamp shines just enough light to help me see where my feet are at that particular moment. Helps me see the ground that I'm standing on right there in that moment. The Bible is a lamp to my feet. But then he also says that the Bible is a light to my path. And the light is a little bit more powerful. The light shines off into the distance. The light shows me where the path is and where I need to go. It shows me other paths that I can go to. And it shows me other paths that I need to avoid. Like think about this. The world that we live in is dark. And the world that we live in is characterized by fake lamps, by false lights. And sometimes, isn't it true, sometimes the temptation for us is to think that if we're going to reach this world for Jesus, then we need to understand the darkness better. That we need to learn more about the darkness. That we need to see the darkness so that we can be relevant in the ways that we try and reach people with the light of Jesus. No, you don't. You don't have to do that. Listen, I, th- I think of young people who say that, that they've got a really close friend that they care about so much who's not a Christian and, and they start thinking to themselves, well, if I can just get a little bit closer to that person, maybe if I can date that person, then maybe that's gonna open up some doors for me to share the gospel with that person and maybe then they'll get saved. Maybe then they'll understand. You don't have to do that. In fact, you shouldn't do that. Because eventually, you get so caught up in that relationship, you, you develop these relational and these emotional connections with that other person, so much so to the point that when they don't respond to the gospel, maybe they don't respond to the gospel at all, all of a sudden now, you've got these patterns and habits within your life, and you're looking back to where you came from, and you're like, how do I get back? And he says, take no part in darkness. But instead, while the darkness is around you, let your light shine. Think of people who say, if, if I'm really going to reach the people that I care about the most, if I'm going to reach the people that I work with, then, then I just need to, I need to watch the movies that they watch, and, and I need to watch the TV shows that they watch, and I need to read the books that they read, and, and just as a way of connecting with them and, and letting them know that I care so that I can develop some kind of connection with them as a way to opening up. No, you don't. You don't need to do that. Because then, all of a sudden, you've developed patterns and habits again in your life, and you look back to where you came from, and and in the meantime, no doors have opened for you to share the gospel in a meaningful way with them. You look back to those patterns and habits in your life, and, and you're like, how do I get back? You don't need to do that. He says, take no part in the darkness, and walk in the light. Walk as children of light, and let your light shine. Sometimes even we're, we're tempted to fall back into ways of darkness just because of our own sin nature within us. And, and this is what the Bible's warning us against here. Make sure that light is shining into your life so that the stuff that shouldn't be there is being exposed. Because let's be honest, we've all got the cracks and crevices in our hearts, right? We all have them. Sometimes that light will shine into your life in different ways. It might happen in church like right now. 
You've got the word of God open in front of you. You've got the word of God being proclaimed to you and God is working in your heart. He's working in your life even right now in this moment and, and the light is being shone into those dark places. It's exposing the darkness. It might happen in your own Bible reading every day. It might happen when a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, hey, listen, I, I see this in your life and this is what God's word says about this and, and I'm kind of concerned about where you're at right now. Can we talk about this? See, the question is, when that light starts to shine into those places within our lives, are we humble enough then to receive that from God? The light shines so that God can bring conviction. And then finally this, notice, the light, let the light shine so that God can bring conversion. So that God can bring conversion. Verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Simply put, the light is powerful to expose the dark and to turn darkness to light. Some commentators think that Paul's using this as a call to repentance for unbelievers. That this is a call for those who are sleeping in their sin to wake up in Jesus Christ. And it's not just a call for unbelievers, it's a call for believers as well. Could it be that there are some who are here right now and you are sleeping in your sin? Believer, you have been deceived back into darkness to do things that do not reflect who you are in Christ. And, and maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer you're not a believer in the way that we've been talking about this relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and, and you're searching, you're exploring, you're wondering what this is all about, what this all means and what it could mean for you and, and you're just wondering how to make sense of all of this. You need to understand that right here, right now, God has brought you here for this purpose today to hear the gracious invitation of Jesus Christ to you right now in this moment to awake from your sleep and arise from the dead. Could it be that you, you are here right now in this moment and you have been lulled to sleep by sin. Listen, listen, right now as I say this, please hear me. Don't be sitting here thinking to yourself right now, oh, that would be so great if so-and-so were here to hear this. No, this is for you. This is for me. This is for us right here, right now. God has brought us to this place. Could it be that someone is here, that you are here this morning and you have been lulled to sleep by sin? For those of you here today, in whatever scenario, wherever it is that you are in your life right now, believer who's drowsy in sin, unbeliever who's fast asleep, like this verse, this passage right here, it's almost like Jesus is walking up to the side of your spiritual bed right now and he is shaking you awake. Come on, come on, come on. Wake up. Wake up right now, today. Wake up. Listen, now is not the time to hit the snooze button on God's alarm clock. There's no time for that today. It is time now. There is no time to waste. It is time to wake up in Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus loves you so much that he has never been satisfied to let you stay in the darkness of sin. 
So much so that when he died on the cross in your place and in my place and took the full punishment for our sins, that the whole world went dark. He was buried for three days in a tomb of darkness, only then to be risen from the dead by the power of the Father to prove that the light will always have power over the darkness. He was willing to endure the darkness so that we could enjoy the light. And now he is calling you and he is calling me, walk as children of light. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He will. Notice, that's his promise. Notice that word, underline that word. He will. Christ will shine on you. So believer, unbeliever, all of us gathered here this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.